I mean, this is the last stand. You're listening to The Unfiltered. Well, I hate to say I told you so. There's nothing to be done besides to get on Twitter and tweet to all my dumbass followers. <laughs> but I told you so. Hey, I told you so. The controversial. He's a dumbass. He can't do math. He's an idiot. He gets his hair cut at Walmart. Look at that shitty haircut. The realest podcast in the Southeast. Let the dogs loose. <laughs> Let the goons be goons. 11 in a row. 11 in a row. 11 in a row. Enough. <laughs> 38 in a row. As in 38 on this point when we were whipping that ass. Ranch gang, stand up. The holy war is upon us. Welcome to Reed's Ranch, the podcast with Seth Hughes. Like, just quit acting like this is any fun at all. Reed's Ranch is proud to partner with Marcos Garza and the Garza Law Firm. If you're coming to watch the game with us tomorrow at the bar, be careful, stupid. Take an Uber. Get a designated driver. Don't get in trouble. But if you do get in trouble and you find yourself needing a lawyer, for especially for a DUI defense, our friend Marcos Garza and his team at the Garza Law Firm are the best in East Tennessee. GarzaLaw.com, 865-540-8300. They also do uh, criminal defense and personal injury. Marcos has been with the, the squad for over a year. Support him if you find yourself in trouble and you want the best result possible. If one of your friends finds himself in trouble or herself and she needs a lawyer, Recommend Marcos. All right, let's get to the show. Me and Will Warren talk about basketball. We go in-depth on this Kentucky matchup. Let's get to it. All right, a special Friday night edition of Reed's Ranch. Will Warren joins us remotely. Will, I've got this set up in my living room right now. I've got my microphone in between three pillows. I've created like a backdrop trying to hopefully uh, give uh, some good acoustics to this to this episode, so if it sounds weird, just know that it's because I have my head in the middle of three cushions with a with a ceiling too. So I guess technically four cushions. I like it. I've got this set up on my uh, little desk in my bedroom remotely. It's a nice little bedroom chat with you, John. Yeah, a yeah, nice little uh, just a little bedroom chat on a Friday night. No big deal. But it's a big game. It's a big game. We wanted to get together to talk before this Kentucky game. Um, a lot of people have been arguing about just how big the game is, biggest game since when. I didn't want to go all the way back to 08 because I think that diminishes that we've played good basketball since then. I'll just call it the biggest game since last year's Georgia. Am I underselling this game? I mean, I think it's bigger than that just because Tennessee's playing such a marquee opponent. But again, yeah, I wouldn't even go back to 08. Um it's it's hard to say like this is definitively the biggest game for the program since anything in particular. It could you could make the case it's the biggest game since Gonzaga or the biggest game since Loyola or something. Like, but I would say for Tennessee specifically going forward, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people would be happy with a split if you just gave them that scenario at the end of the season with Kentucky. Yeah, for sure. But a lot of people really, really want this game in particular. Yeah, I mean, overall, it feels like them losing to LSU really did Tennessee a favor. Like, you get a you get a game of breathing room in the standings versus Kentucky, and you also 
uh, probably get a game in uh, you know game in the uh, you know the seeding line too. Like if Tennessee loses to Kentucky, I doubt Kentucky jumps them for a one seed now with the uh, the loss to LSU, which you kind of were in. You might have been in a little trouble uh, with the one seed if Kentucky hadn't lost to LSU. Yeah, and I think for Kentucky specifically, they're really going to have to get to about fifteen and three by year's end in the SEC to be in serious one seed contention. Fourteen and four or less eliminates you in all likelihood. Not not because they wouldn't have good wins per se. I mean, they've got they would have a win over Tennessee, Kansas, you know, North Carolina, Louisville, but at six losses with so many good teams vying for a one seed, that kind of eliminates your cause. When you look at how Tennessee matches up with Kentucky, is there anything that jumps out to you that Tennessee's going to have to do well? Yeah, I, I mean... Reading your preview on on your website through patreon.com slash Reese Ranch, shout out to the patrons. Reading your preview, which, by the way, you outdid yourself, you know, 3,600 words, five different sections, uh, hell of a job by you. Reading it, it seemed to me like the biggest area of concern is going to be Tennessee and defensive rebounding. Yes, I, I agree. Um, t- Tennessee, you know, it's not that they've been terrible at it. Uh, you know, as I mentioned in the piece, there, there's only been one game all year where they gave up uh, 40% or higher uh, offensive rebound rate to another team. And for those wondering what that means, uh, the percentage there is the number of offensive rebounds out of the opportunities you had. So if Tennessee got 10 rebounds offensively out of 30 opportunities, that would be a 33.3% rate. Uh, Kentucky ranks number three nationally in offensive rebound rate. Tennessee defensively, 259th. So on the surface level, it's not an ideal matchup, but that ignores what I also go into in the piece, which is that of of Tennessee's 23 Division I opponents so far, 12 have been in the top 89 nationally in offensive rebounding. So they, they face stout competition in that stat alone, which should prepare them fairly well. Yeah, that's what that's what had me worried because Kentucky's long and they are usually going at rebounds pretty ferociously. So like it seemed like that would mean that Tennessee needed to keep their guards in trying to help rebound. And it really, you know, places an importance for me on Kyle Alexander and Grant Williams not getting in foul trouble. Right, because Kentucky is also so proficient at getting to the line. Uh, they rank 22nd nationally in free throw rate, which is, you know, your percentage of free throw attempts to your uh, field goal attempts. But you look at, not not that this is like a one-to-one correlation with how good or how bad they play, but, you know, the Auburn game, they had uh, 33 free throw attempts. It's really pushed them over the top in a game that they probably should have lost late. Um so a Kentucky team in Rupp Arena, everyone always talks about the Rupperies, but this team also is just good at drawing fouls. So like that seems like something that should really be a uh, a point of concern for Tennessee fans. Uh, patron McLean Long, he asks, uh, what, do, what do we think our Achilles Hill is going into this game? He says he was in Rupp last year to see the win, hoping we make it two in a row. Shout out to you, McLean. Um, Achilles Hill, like what? What is it that Tennessee doesn't do well that's going to hurt them? Is it the is it the rebounding? I could see the rebounding. I, I genuinely do not see the three point concern for this game in particular. I know that could come back to bite us in the butt, but um, 
you know, Kentucky among SEC teams, Kentucky has the lowest share of three point attempts to overall field goal attempts. No team in the SEC gets fewer points from threes than Kentucky does. In fact, no two teams in the SEC get fewer points from threes than Tennessee and Kentucky. So I genuinely do not expect this one to be decided by threes. It's all about does Tennessee protect their own boards and does Tennessee avoid fouling? You know, I I can deal with a a blocking foul. I can deal with a good hard foul on a block attempt uh, at the rim. I cannot deal with a silly over the back on a on an and one on PJ Washington or something similar. Tennessee has to make sure their fouls count. They cannot commit stupid, useless fouls in this game. Just because, you know, as much as as much as we enjoyed the John Fulkerson alley oop the other night, Tennessee probably does not want to be playing John Fulkerson more than ten minutes in this game, right? Yeah, no, that, that that was one of the things I said was like Fulkerson has earned some trust. He's you know, he's played pretty well. Uh, no offense to him, I don't want to see him uh, play very many minutes tomorrow night. Especially because he is a foul machine. Yeah. Yeah, like you want, you don't want to, you know, like you said, the ticky-tack fouls, the over-the-backs, even the, even the pointless body check, you know, 40 feet away from the basket. I would imagine that, like, you, you also just don't want to have them shooting you know, cheap one-and-one fouls or, you know, getting to the bonus, even, you know, on non-shooting fouls. I, th- I think every foul matters uh, tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. And, you know, I, I thought... Now, something you said, something you... Well, I mean, is that about... If it's about fouls, keep going, because I wanted to get back on the uh, three-point thing, but is it about fouls? Yeah, I mean, Kyle Alexander, I think, has actually been better the last few times out. I know he only played 20 and 19 minutes last two games, but he had the zero foul performance against Missouri that I thought was really good. And, you know, in the Florida game, he just – they were two bad calls. It is what it is. And, you know, maybe you have to deal with that again tomorrow night. It is Rupp Arena. But um, I don't find myself quite as concerned about a Kyle Alexander foul issue as I do the potential Grant Williams foul issue. You surprised me by saying you don't think this game is going to come down to three-pointers. Because reading your preview and watching Kentucky, it seems like they – that's where you can beat them on defense. Like when you're on offenses, but with, you know, ball movement that leads to wide open three-pointers. Of of course. I mean, that would be the clearest advantage to me for Tennessee offensively outside of, you know, just having Grant Williams on the team. But it is just going to take Tennessee to shoot threes. You know, you look at offensively, they haven't shot more than 20 threes in a game since road Florida on January 12th. Tennessee's just not a team that usually needs to shoot a lot of threes, to be honest. So uh, maybe if it comes down to it tomorrow, they'll shoot more. But I would be a little surprised if that ended up being the deciding factor. Okay. Just reading your preview, like I said, when I believe the number was forty three percent of of three pointers are, are wide open on the on the catch and shoot against Kentucky, and it seems like if Bowden, Lamonte, and Admiral make them pay there, uh, that could be Tennessee really. Um, Gaining some gaining some free points, if you will. All right, well, let's get to a couple questions. Like I said, this was going to be a uh, uh, patron question. He- you know, we do love our patrons. Heavy. Um, Mason Howe, we do love our patrons. All right, let's. Uh, we're talking three pointers, so let's go with Ryan Hudson. He says that our opponents are shooting good from three. Is that because we aren't playing good defense or is it because, you know, kind of just bad luck on the shots that are going in? Um, it's a little of both. You know, I've harped a lot on Tennessee's guarded slash unguarded uh, 
stuff that you that I share with from Synergy. Um, and you know, the, a few games before Tennessee had not been doing so well against uh, Alabama and Vanderbilt in particular. They shorted up a lot against West Virginia, and you could even and like South Carolina only shot seven of twenty two. Um, but in particular, the last week, Missouri, the 15 guarded, four unguarded was the second best split of the year. Florida was only 12 of 12 guarded, 10 unguarded, but it's Florida. You don't really have to fear them from three with South Carolina. I just genuinely thought Tennessee got unlucky. Uh, Synergy had South Carolina shooting 10 guarded catch and shoot threes. They hit seven. The national average on those was about 33%. I guarantee you that's probably the only time all year a team has hit more than about 50 to 55% of their unguarded threes in Tennessee. Oh man, I'm sitting Indian style on the floor right now and my knees hurting so bad. I got to stretch my leg out. So if my, if I start sounding a little bit off center, it's because I'm in a lot of pain. Okay. Everybody (laughs) I'm grinding through this for you guys. Can I still say Indian? can, Can you still say Indian style? Is that offensive? Yeah. Uh, well, I think Seth would be the real expert on that, but I think it's perfectly fine. Don't you just say crisscross applesauce? Yeah, I, it would be. It would be weird. Like I feel like if you asked a Native American person, like they would say it would be weird if you said you were sitting Native American. Well, do you think they'd find it? I mean, to me, it sounds way more weird to say I'm sitting crisscross applesauce. That's what they teach in school these days. Yeah, there is a kid. Uh, when I worked at a school, there was a kid who would always say that, and it was the strangest thing to me. Mason Hal asks. Uh, he's seen a lot of talk by Kentucky fans built around Tennessee's week in conference schedule so far. I mean, Mason, to be honest, like that's something I've talked about a lot on the radio. I mean, you, you can't really ignore that, you know, out of Tennessee's teams they've played so far in conference, only uh, Alabama is slated right now to be a tournament team. Now, sure, Florida still probably should be considered a quality opponent, especially a trip to Florida, but still like. Yeah, Tennessee's had a uh, pretty easy conference schedule so far. Will, do you agree or disagree? I, I totally agree. I mean, you saw the Ken Pomeroy tweet today about how Tennessee's not, uh, Tennessee's current conference schedule has been easier than Santa Clara's, which is pretty funny, to be honest. But um, Yeah, but I mean, I, I understand Tennessee. Yeah, I understand Tennessee fans taking offense to that because we did we did play Kansas, Gonzaga, and Louisville. Right. And and it really purely is just not Tennessee's fault that West Virginia sucks this year or that Florida has been a disappointment or really that South Carolina was extremely disappointing until the conference season started. Uh, Tennessee can't control those factors. They can't control Darius Garland's knee shredding. It, it, it is what it is. You know, Tennessee's been pretty darn lucky with the schedule so far. But hey, it got us to 23-1. and one. I don't think anyone should complain. I think Kentucky's conference schedule has been a little overrated so far. I'm not buying those Mississippi schools just yet. That's fair. And to that, I would say they have played, uh, Ken Palm says seven tier or tier A games so far. Uh, I don't know how that lines up with the net rankings exactly, but I mean, you would take Duke and Louisville and North Carolina into account there. I'm just, I'm just looking at conference schedule though. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying is they, they've played at Auburn, uh, at Florida, at Mississippi State. You know, I get you're not buying the Mississippi schools yet, but Mississippi State does rank top 30-ish in most metric sites. They're a good, fine team. So, so I mean, Tennessee So Tennessee went to Florida. Um, so it's really just there's two extra games so far, the at LSU, 
or excuse me, not the LSU, the at Mississippi State and the at Auburn. Like that's it so far. Those would be the two definitively tougher road games they've played. And I guess they went to Alabama versus Tennessee, getting them at home. Yeah, but again, like Alabama's not tougher than Florida, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I seem to be the last Florida holdout on earth thinking Mike White is going to turn it around eventually, even though I've kind of figured out he's not. I mean, it's it's statement week. A theme I had on the radio all week was, you know, this is a chance for Tennessee. Not even for Tennessee. It, it's, someone's getting validated this weekend. Either Tennessee fans and, and this Tennessee team will be like, okay, you know what? The schedule has been not so tough, but you just went into Lexington and beat Kentucky. You're legit. Or everyone who's saying Tennessee isn't legit is going to be validated if Tennessee goes into Rupp and loses by 8 or 12 or 14 points. Yeah. But on the other hand, you could just argue that Tennessee's weaker schedules allowed them to rest up a little bit. Tennessee hasn't played in a single-digit game in nearly a month. Yeah, they've just been really bored. Yeah, that's that's why you know I was a little tiny bit upset by some of the late-game defensive antics against South Carolina, where they weren't defending the three. But at that point, it's like Tennessee. So on Bart Torvik's site that I send on occasionally, he says. He has this stat for an average leader deficit. Tennessee's average lead in that game was 11 points. That usually translates to about a 17 to 23 point win. I mean, Tennessee played better than a 12 point win against South Carolina. So the final margin was not alarming to me. Tennessee and their zone defense. Is it to a place where you trust it yet or, or not? Like, cause it feels like this is a matchup where Tennessee might should throw the zone in for five or 10 minutes uh, do you trust the zone defense? I do, but again, you haven't really seen Tennessee roll it out against a marquee opponent to date yet. I, I understand like they ran it out for that final possession against Missouri. They ran it out some against both South Carolina and Texas A&M. And uh, it's, it's worked to some extent. I, I think it is just partially Tennessee doesn't need to use the zone as much. But in a, in a game like this where Kentucky draws so many fouls and is so good at getting to the line, you would be willing to try zone for a little bit, but I would caution that on average zone teams give up more offensive rebounds. Yeah, that, that, that was kind of the Achilles heel though, or that that's kind of the catch 22, I guess, is if you, if you go to the zone and it, you know, either you're not stopping them. And if you do, you know, get a stop, it's tough to rebound there. Right. Did I describe a cat? Did I describe a catch 22 successfully? Like I know it's supposed to be a lose, lose, I don't guess I did. That's just the other shoe. Help me with the cliche, Will. That's the problem with running the zone. I'm a big fan of using Sophie's choice when I do not understand what that means at all. Yeah, you're really opening Schrodinger's box. <laughs> right? Is he the one with the box and the cat, or is it just the cat? Yeah, he's he's the cat guy. But that was with the box, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, if you open the box... You and have you're... to open the box to find out. And uh... Once you see that... And once you see that cat's dead, there's no putting the cat back in the box. Right. Donovan Cook says, do you feel like a loss? He says, obviously not to Kentucky tomorrow, but you could just say, uh, do you feel like a loss would be beneficial for this team? He says he has a feeling that he, he has a feeling that he knows they're going to eventually lose and does, just doesn't want it to come in March or April. Do you buy into the loss refocusing myth? I actually do because... Uh, you know, if you think if you want to think championship stuff, 
no team has won it, if I recall correctly, with more than a 16 or 17 game winning streak since 1976, Indiana. Really? And uh, yeah. So uh, I what's mean, the longest one? If it, the longest one since? Yeah. When you say there's been like no 16 um, or 17, like what? What's the longest one? Do you know? I mean, I, sorry. I mean, I know you're. I'd have I'd have to double check. I actually think the uh, Kemba Walker UConn team might have a real shot at the longest one because that was 11 or something like that. Yeah, but that surely somebody's done more than that because I mean that was just the Big East tournament and then the the championship. So surely someone's had longer than that. Uh, I'll double you check. Auto- you automatically get six, right? If you win a championship, you already you you automatically get six. So surely someone was on. I'm the- talking about heading into the tournament. No, I know. Oh, oh, oh okay. That Kimball Walker team had won five in a row heading into the tournament? I don't think so. Yeah, well, you're, they had to play that Wednesday Big East game. Well, I know. Or Tuesday, whatever yeah, it used that, to be. That, I know. that, that they, couldn't have had a, they couldn't have had a five-game winning streak heading into that conference tournament. Right? I mean, No, that's, that was my bad. They won five straight in the conference tournament. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Any, anyway, the, the point is... No, the point is, you're, very, the point is like, you're wrong, Will Warren, and that UConn team struggled, <laughs> and then all of a sudden they won, so... I mean, 11 games total or 17 games heading into the tournament? Which one are you saying that no one's done since Indiana? No one's done more than 17 games and won the title. Like, I, I, you think of the 2014-15 Carl Anthony Towns Kentucky team. You think heading, of, heading into the tournament or including the tournament? Head, heading in, like heading into game one. Okay, so 17 games or more heading into game one. Sorry. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, not since 1976 Indiana. Gotcha. And, so the, and the other thing is, uh, I'll pull this up. I did a... Sorry if I made that confusing, everybody. It's it's probably at least half my fault. Yeah, for, I mean it was. A, I feel like it was a lot your fault because you got kind of hung up on the UConn thing. But at the same time, I'm I'm sitting crisscross applesauce again, and my knees hurting. But you know the show must go thank on. You for, but thank all the you for blood. shedding Native American style, John. Indigenous st- style. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Th- this is for this is more for Final Four teams than. Okay. Yeah. No champion since. Uh, at least in the Ken Palm era, has had a winning streak of more than 10 entering the tournament. Uh, 93% of Final Four teams since 2002, so 63 of 68, have had a winning streak of 10 or less. So you kind of, I would agree with Donovan's take that you need that later season loss to kind of reset yourself a little bit. I don't really care where it comes, but... Okay, so you buy into it. I kind of feel, I always kind of felt like that was just a myth that people say. Statistically, it's backed up. Hashtag Vol stats. Well, I don't know if it's statistically backed up. This seems like one of those causation correlation things, or that, or that statistics aren't a predictive thing. It just seems like it's just not many teams going seventeen game win streaks. I think that's the that thing. is true too. Because if you remember too, the uh, Kentucky te- the Kentucky team that did win the title lost in the SEC tournament. Thank you, Mr. Statistician, for tipping your hat. It just seems like 17 wins in a row is tough to get. Yes. So I don't think it means that teams that I would I would like I'd be curious to see what happens to teams that go into the tournament on 17 game win streaks. I'll try and get that info for you. You know what I mean? Like teams that came in on long win streaks and how they did. Obviously, we know that uh, you know, that Carl Anthony Towns and that Kentucky team failed, but I just wonder how often it actually happens. You'd also have to you'd have to weight it against mid-major teams too, because I know for sure it's way way more common when like a Stephen F. Austin comes in winning twenty in a row. Yeah, and I was going to say you can't count St. Joe's or you can't count Wichita State. Like I just mean like actual like big time teams. Chad Byers asks: Is Coach Cal actually a good coach? Yes. 
like not him being successful, but just his, uh, it, can he stack up against other good coaches on a, with a neutral squad, basically? Like, t- can I, yeah, can I take recruiting out of it? Do you think Coach Cal is good? Yeah, uh, I, I don't think, I, th- I think that generally considering he's, I don't, I don't think we could re- remember and name the last time he finished outside of like what the top five ish in recruiting. That I, I would say it's disappointing for sure. He hasn't won a title since 2012, but I think he's pretty good at taking obviously, uh, like obvious parts that don't really fit together. Like if you looked at just this Kentucky lineup straight up, it doesn't fit together in theory. You have one shoot, like one consistent shooter. Uh, a couple of big guys that aren't big and a point guard that kind of got the role by default because the real starting point guard transferred. Uh, I mean, they, they've kind of figured it out on their own. And I, but you have to credit Cal because I think every year Kentucky consistently through his tenure has played pretty darn good defense. They've always been really good inside the arc. They've always been really good at blocking shots and, you know, regardless of whether you're hitting on the other end, if you're playing strong, solid ball on one end, you're solving a good part of the equation. I will say that I've always been a little disappointed by Cal's late game offensive sets and what he chooses to run. Like, especially the Kansas State game last year where they lost in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I don't remember much about that game because I was so devastated that I I, I quit watching basketball. That's fair. Uh but well, I, I just felt like Kentucky could not get like a good playoff at all in that the final five minutes of that game. But and he's relied a lot on star power late in games, which is totally fine. You, you have no serious issue with that. But it, it doesn't seem like Kentucky really oh, runs plays the for the final couple minutes of a game. It's all about who is the best shooter and can he create his own shot. Oh, very NBA esque. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, they always have NBA talent, and this year they don't really have the same level of talent. Just for the record, I had to move up on the couch, so now I'm really just like leaning over into the mic. So who knows how this sounds right now? Um, but just had to give you an update. Um, it, it doesn't seem like Kentucky has that level of talent this year, especially in the guards. You know, mostly the point guard position. Is that fair to say? Part part of it is like there's no there's no De'Aaron Fox and no John Wall, obviously. But like, is there point guard? He's not a pro player either, right? Like he's not a pro prospect. I, I think is he? he's like a late second round guy, maybe. But yeah, not not a lottery pick by any means, like we've seen from Kentucky in the past. And and, and his defense is definitely his strength compared to a decently weak offensive game. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, defensively, he's probably either the best or second best defender on a very good defense. And yeah, it, it is just a strange team. It's PJ Washington is the best player. And he was a guy who lost his starting spot last year after the Tennessee game, after the loss in Rupp. Like the and the best freshman on the on the team is a guy who came in as far and away the least heralded member of their class last year, a white kid from Wisconsin. Is that Hero or Hero or whatever? I mean, Keldon Johnson is probably the third best player on the team, and he's the only guy that's even getting some consideration for a lottery pick. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. When I've watched them, I haven't been overly impressed with him. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's an, he's a fine player, but he's not... I wouldn't even put him on the level of like a Kevin Knox last year or something. Okay. Where, you know, Kevin Knox wasn't even the best player on last year's team. Clint Wright asks, 
How do, how would Tennessee recover from a loss tomorrow since it's to a blue blood like Kentucky? He says ESPN would have a field day with us. They've wanted to see us lose for four weeks. How do you think a loss would affect Tennessee just from a national perspective? I don't feel like ESPN's wanting us to lose. No, like they had a, didn't they have a, I, I don't watch this stuff, but didn't they have a dude like come on and say Tennessee was clearly the best team in the nation a week ago? Yeah, I'm not really buying the ESPN stuff this go around. I, I, I understand that as Tennessee fans, we're all conditioned to believe ESPN is doing all they can to cut down the university, but that's kind of not the case here. I, I would say in terms of recovery, most rational people are going to be like, oh, it's hard as hell to win at Rupp Arena. That's not a big deal. As long as it's not a blowout. And any Anything within single digits, and I don't really think national media is going to care all that much. I think that will also be a beneficial. You know, I, I think uh, LSU beating Kentucky will kind of benefit Tennessee from maybe taking the hype down a little bit, right? It's not two teams coming in with with double digit win streaks. It's just one team coming off of a loss versus the number one team in the country. Right, and you know, I'd have to look at the poll to really confirm this one way or another. But we don't really think Tennessee falls if they do lose falls further than fourth, right? I feel like that's accurate. Like below Duke, Virginia, Gonzaga, and that's it. Maybe even ahead of Gonzaga since they have the head-to-head. I'd say that's fair, and I would say that they shouldn't put Kentucky ahead of Tennessee, especially if it's a close game. Right. Because, because you know, as we all know, supposedly home court advantage is worth three points or thereabouts. If it's within three, then, you know, that would technically mean Tennessee would win it on a neutral court, I suppose. Yeah, I'm not really buying the ESPN stuff this go around. Like, I know that they're praising Duke, but I mean, I think Duke's a really damn good team. And them moving Duke, you know, them moving Duke ahead of Tennessee in the power rankings made a little sense to me. So, like, outside of that, I did me too. Duke, it's not it's not Tennessee's fault they've played an easy conference schedule. Duke just happens to play in either the best or second best conference in the nation. Now, if Tennessee beats Kentucky, especially convincingly, I think Tennessee should move back ahead, especially since Duke. Slept walk against Louisville for 30 minutes. Right. And, you know, it's good and all that Duke came back. It's not really good for Tennessee because they could have used that Louisville win a little bit. But, I mean, it's it's not a big deal. I, I, I genuinely, you know, so, sometimes I'll understand it if, say, I, I definitely remember the Duke team that lost like five or six in a row in the ACC like 12 years ago or something. That was the year they lost to VCU in the first round. And I strongly remember someone on ESPN saying six seed Duke was still going to go to the final four. That's not the case here where it's like a, a clearly overrated Duke team. They are just very good. And it's okay if they're mentioned in the same breath as Tennessee. For tomorrow, rank the Vols in level of importance. Hmm. Grant Williams is obviously number one to me. I, I, I don't think there's a real argument against that because he's just he's the best player in the SEC. And you're going up. I think this game contains season long, at least the three best players in the SEC in Williams, Washington and Schofield. And you could say Schofield is probably the second most important player. But behind him, I would actually put Jordan Bowden above Bowen for third. I, I think we're continuing to underrate a little bit just how great Bowden has been in conference play. Okay. But, it, you know, you can agree or disagree there, but some mix of Bowden and Bowen at three and four, 
Alexander at five, Turner at six, and then a giant drop off to the rest of the roster. So you think Alexander? You think Alexander's number five for tomorrow's game? I could bump. I could argue. A, I could argue a bump up to four, knowing that Tennessee needs to really help. You know, rebound well. Yeah, I, I, so I could hear out a bump to four there. I just think Bowden, uh, Bowden has to be high on this because he's such a good perimeter defender when he's tuned in. And, you know, like we said, we don't think the threes are going to decide it, but you don't want to leave Tyler, Tyler Harrow wide open. You need a guy like Bowden who can defend him, you know, throughout the court. Harrow! The most important, the most important non-bounded bench player to me is whoever Barnes chooses to play more of between Jalen Johnson and Eve Pons, because oh, oh god, yeah, I, I I don't think either gets more than five minutes, but those five minutes for each are going to be real important, especially if Jalen Johnson is going to fart around on defense like he has for a lot of this year. I would say he goes with Pons. I probably would too, just because Pons has a better body to guard guys, even though Pons, as we all know gets he he kind of has that you know when you play with a uh, player on Madden or something where they have really low awareness Pons has that a, a bit but you you would hope that you can at least get four to six good minutes out of Pons where he's harassing guys in the perimeter he's willing to take on a Harrow or a Hagens or even Keldon Johnson because they do have the same height and body type um some sort of deal like that where he's able to spell uh Bowden Turner Schofield effectively for a short amount of time. They they will really need that tomorrow, and he cannot commit a dumb foul. Obviously, uh, John Ard. Since we're just kind of looking ahead at what this would do to this, what this would do seed wise, and and Tennessee's currently on the one line, and even with the loss, should stay as a one seed. Uh, we'll real quickly give us uh, your rankings on teams that Tennessee would want to see as a two seed. Uh, we'll say start with most want to see between Carolina, Michigan State, Michigan, Houston, and Kansas. Hmm. I still go Kansas number one because they don't have Azubuki. Uh, not not that I really think Houston is some great team that deserves to be twenty four and one. I think that's just a product of the conference they play in. But getting Kansas without their lone good big man is extremely ideal. That's a Kansas team that I really don't think makes it past the first weekend. So having a deal where the bot in the bottom half of your bracket, the best you can play as a three seed would be pretty ideal past that. Obviously Houston. And then remind me of the other three teams you mentioned. Michigan, Michigan, Michigan state and uh, North Carolina, right? Yeah. North Carolina. Um, Yeah. Most want to play out of those North Carolina, then Michigan, then Michigan State. Um, Michigan just kind of seems to have lost it completely on offense. Yeah, I've noticed they've been losing a lot more. Yeah, well, uh, the the Penn State game, not only did John Beeline get kicked out of the game for what I read was the first time in 30 plus years, which is pretty amazing. Uh, it was the, I believe it was the sixth or seventh straight game they've shot uh, below... 40% from three. All right. Gabriel Wall says, how much does Tennessee win by tomorrow? I said one on the uh, post. I really do believe this is a true coin flip of a game, which is obviously pretty scary. That means there's a lot of variance in it, but I, I, 
in a coin flip, I do just kind of go with the better team on a neutral court, and Tennessee is technically the better team this year. It's not a neutral court. Yeah, but you just got to go. I, this is a weird year for the SEC where only out of the 77 home games so far, home teams are only 42 and 35. I mean, we saw Kentucky lose at home to LSU and get a giant call against them as time expired, which how many times have you seen that happen in your life? Vols win by four. You say four? Yeah, I say four. Do we have any other questions? I like these questions. Uh, The last two come from Grit and Tanner Fuller, and they're just asking about our crew that's going to Lexington and and whether or not they're going to go to jail and bail money and who's going to go bail them out type of thing. I would say definitely add them to your prayer list if you are a church attender. Uh, Make sure that you keep, if if you're not a church guy or gal, keep them in your thoughts. Um, I mean, I mean, the game's tomorrow, Will. I know. <laughs> Church is on Sunday. Uh, you can pray before Sunday. Church. Yeah, but you, do you update your prayer list on Saturdays? At my church, we just update prayer list on Sundays. You can make a special call to the pastor. Uh, that seems a little extreme, William. Look, maybe the pastor owes you a favor or something. I don't know. I don't well, know your pastor. What, what the hell would you, how, the, how would the pastor owe you a favor? Because you've been a good churchgoer, I guess. I don't know. the The, the point is, we got to keep we got to keep Levi and the crew. Yeah, you know, we got to make sure at least we're we're thinking of them. We're hoping they pull through. We're hoping that Levi doesn't have his face caved in. Just get him out of there safe. Every time I was in church or Sunday school, and they would make you give a prayer request, I would just always say unspoken. Maybe call your maybe call your pastor and say you have an unspoken prayer request. <laughs> I have an unspoken prayer request about two very specific people, or however however many people we're sending up there. Uh, like I know personally five or six, I think. So, mm. hopefully, all the boys are okay. Hopefully, they get a big win. All right, Will. Anything else you want to add? No, not really. I feel uh, better about tomorrow's game after writing that giant piece than I did before. Tennessee has very specific parts of the game they can take control of. Uh, Tennessee is way better in half-court offense than Kentucky is. If Tennessee slows this game down, not to a crawl necessarily, but takes away the transition element from Kentucky and forces a lot of mid-range twos, they're going to be looking pretty, I think. I'm sure Marcos Garza has some friends in Kentucky who would help these boys. Shout out to Marcos. Maybe, Maybe he's got some friends in Kentucky that he would recommend up in Lexington. I'll shoot him a message, see what I can find out. All right, William, are you coming to Hobson Hollers tomorrow night? I will be in Nashville, unfortunately, but I will be there in spirit. It was a yes or no question. No. <laughs> okay. The, the, the uh, 12 p.m. LSU tip I will be there for, I'm sure. Which, let, let me harp on that for a minute, how stupid it is. Tennessee's two marquee road games after this one, LSU and Auburn, both tip at noon. Maybe the fans will be tired. It's 11 a.m. locally. It's what you hope for. Maybe it's an advantage. Tennessee beat Auburn in football at 11 a.m. local. This is true. So we beat one Tigers team at 11 a.m. So why not two? Maybe we can beat it. Maybe we can beat another one. All right, William. Appreciate the time. Appreciate your great work. If you haven't read his "Show Me My Opponent," it's 
more in depth than the stuff we talked about tonight, and it comes with pictures. You get to see pictures and videos. And they, the, the pictures move. That's the fun part. You did a great job, William. Great job. I appreciate you for all your help. ReedsRanch.com slash – wait, no, that's not right. Let me try that again. Patreon.com slash ReedsRanch if you want access to it. $2 a month. $2 a month help goes a long way for us, and it also provides you a chance to with uh, access to our community and some really, really good content. I love you, William. I'll talk to you later. Love you too, John. Bye-bye.